Robo-advice, a sector which really started to gather momentum in the UK following the launch of Nutmeg a decade ago, has undergone one of the fastest story arcs in the wealth management sector. In 2015, launches were plenty, but now the number of launches in the robo-advice space seems to have pretty much stopped in the UK. If anything, the space has started to contract, with big names such as UBS and Investec having pulled out of the market. Nutmeg, the industry's largest player by far in the UK, was snapped up by JP Morgan in June, while several others have simply decided to leave the market because they struggled to build scale. Canadian robo-advisor Simple was one of the latest to exit the UK last week and focus on its home soil operations. Its UK business accounted for around 3% of its total assets under management and its UK customer footprint made up an even lesser 0.8% of its total client book. Those which are left are now owned by big traditional institutions. Aviva owns Wealthify, LV owns Wealth Wizards, and Allianz is a key investor in Money Farm, which took on Wealthsimple's clients recently. So as we see digital platforms invest in human advisors and several robos offer services aimed at advisors, what's next for this space? I'm Ruby Hinchliffe, reporter at FT Advisor, and I'm joined today by Mike Barrett, Consulting Director at the Langcat, and Simon Bussey, Consulting Director at Altus. Guys, welcome. Thank you. Hi, Ruby. Hello. So let's start today by looking at how the robo-advice proposition has evolved to where it is today. We've kind of done a bit of a whistle-stop tour there, but Simon, do you want to kick us off um, and sort of give us a bit of background and, and take us to where we are today? Yeah, for sure. Um, but first up, uh, I suppose, is the term robo advice. Uh, I, I would probably argue in the UK now that that's a bit of a dead term. So if, if we went back maybe five or six years, uh, yeah, robo advice was, was the uh, the term that everybody used, sort of inherited from the uh, from the United States. But I think we we were, we, and I say we, as in in the UK, we we're probably quite cynical of of that term because there were certainly no robots involved, and there was absolutely no advice either. So it, it was almost uh, uh, the, uh, the the wrong term from 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 day one. Um, digital wealth or automated advice uh, seem to be uh, more more common phrases nowadays. Um, you, you've sort of given a, a little bit of the, um, the, the the history. I guess the, the the big challenges for a number of those early DTC propositions, uh, where they were sort of fintech entrepreneurs, um, so they had no brand, no customers, uh, not really uh, particularly deep marketing pockets. Uh, often a, a single product line, ISAs, uh, maybe with GIA alongside. Uh, very low value um, contributions, and what we saw was increasingly uh, significant competition. So, not surprisingly, it was a real struggle, and that that was playing into a, a very competitive um, D2C market already. And, and what what we saw was that a number of those businesses uh, basically pivoted to a B2B or B2B2C model. Uh, in fact, everybody that you've mentioned and others have have done that. Uh, you, you talked about Wealth Simple. Well, for the last couple of years, their whole focus was on B two B, B two B two C. So that D two C book wasn't growing at all. Uh, not so. Not surprisingly, the the tiny figures that that you mentioned. Um, and then we had the banks join the party, and uh, I'm going to use the word arrogant because I think banks just thought that they could turn up. And because of their name, 
people would just come running. That absolutely has not happened. I'm not going to say that's all banks, but certainly a number of the banks uh, believe that. Uh, and I'd go to as far as to say that you've got people on uh, you know, big salaries, but not doing the job that they perhaps were paid to do. Uh, so, you, so propositions were poorly thought through, poorly designed, poorly executed. They were dull. They were unimaginative. Um, they were linear. And they basically got the results that they deserved. And a real danger signal for me is when you get a bunch of senior managers all sat around a table and they start saying, I think this and I think that. Um, so there's no, no real customer um, thought at all. And the, the lesson at all of that, as we've seen, is that simply having a big brand does not work. You've got to do your homework. Some very good points there. Mike, what, what about you in terms of what you think some of these firms have learned and I guess firms that have observed what's happened in the last 10 years? Um, what, what do you think are some of the key takeaways? Yeah, I think I, I tend to look at the robo market and I, I kind of share Simon's frustration with the name robo advice, but equally um, the fact that it, it upsets a lot of people, I think amuses me and, and it's, um, I we tend to deliberately use it just to wind up people who always say, oh, yeah, there isn't any ro robots or any any advice. But I think the, the robo market sits as part of the wider direct consumer, direct, wider direct investing market. So, so this confusion around the name robo, I think if you asked someone in the real world, what's the difference between what we would term as a robo advisor and somebody like Hargreaves Lansdowne or AJ Bell, um, I don't think people would know what the hell we're talking about and wouldn't be able to make much of a distinction between it. So the robos kind of started to try and build on the success of the large incumbents, so the likes of Hargreaves, the likes of AJ Bell, the likes of Interactive Investor. And the, I guess the idea, the hypothesis was that by, I guess, offering a bit more of a guidance into some sets of portfolios, you don't have to work out where I should invest and build a portfolio. Someone's going to do it for you. You're going to pay 75 bips for it and get a bunch of stuff at the end of it and it'll stay invested. And those user experiences worked really well. And actually, from a technology point of view, from a UX point of view, really quite good, but they just didn't make any money. <laughs> the problem with the big providers or the, I guess, the opportunity people look at the sector and the challenge is that, the big providers hoover up clients at an alarmingly large rate. You're trying to compete with that. And we've seen that continue even over the events of the last 18 months. Actually, that's accelerated a lot of their client growth, if anything else. People have been so bored when they've got, got around to sorting out their investments and all the rest of it. And yeah, those big providers have big client banks, have client retention rates of, of above 90%. I think you mentioned Wealth Simple earlier on. They had sixteen thousand clients they managed to acquire in in their entire lifetime in the UK. The likes of Hargreaves will, will acquire that this month, probably in terms of the, in, the, in terms of their normal run rate. So it's a really really hard market to break into, and reality's coming home. Really, if you're going to exist, you need to make money and you need to be profitable, and that's the thing which nobody's managed to do in the robo sector, unfortunately. So there's a lot of good propositions that we could say from a technology point of view from a proposition point of view 
look really good and they're giving good customer outcomes, but then you go onto company's house and look at their look at their accounts and take a very, very sharp intake of breath. It's really interesting because we're talking about the definition of, of robo advice and what it means. And I've actually found that some players in the space have kind of started to try and move away from the term now because it's almost seen as this very negative term and it represents everything we've just been speaking about really that, that's sort of gone wrong with the sector and so I've noticed that some sort of newer challenger players are trying to uh, distance themselves from that term robo-advisor I've actually had them say that to me over email and say we're not a robo-advisor we're a digital wealth manager um, which which makes sense right because digital wealth manager has more of that sort of traditional terminology to it than robo-advisor which sounds like something kind of futuristic and like we've sort of said it doesn't really seem to have paid out that well for a lot of players that have that have got into it um but what have we now sort of turned to some of the specific models that exist of robo advice we talked about a lot of the ones that don't work but why don't we sort of now have a look at some perhaps some of the models at like the hybrid model for example you know i said earlier about how we're seeing a lot of robo advisors or or firms in that space hiring advisors human advisors now um, and kind of going towards that more hybrid model uh, and how sustainable do we think that is uh, simon do you want to start yeah uh, so just to backtrack just maybe uh, a little bit uh, i suppose before we get on to hybrid is that a lot of hard lessons have been learned over over the, the the period of, of time that we're talking so it's and it's let's face it it's a, it's a decade or more isn't it now so uh, certainly people that I, I talk to nowadays and work with, they're, they're far more focused on thinking about target customers. Um, so perhaps originally it was it was all about millennials, um, but there was this uh, there was a recognition that actually they don't have any money. So, so life has moved on from that. Um, and so we've now got propositions which are uh, looking at sort of at the point of retirement. Uh, and may, maybe we touch on uh, M&G um, perhaps in, in a little while. So we maybe talk about them as a, a, a case study in a little bit. Uh, so you've got people that have got sort of bigger pots of money and with the, the proposition itself. So uh, so propositions nowadays tends to offer a far broader range of services. It, it's not just this linear um, journey into, a, into an ISA. Uh, they're thinking more about the their actual value proposition. So what what makes them different and better than than others? Whereas I mean, historically, you could almost um, uh, you almost look at these different propositions, and they're almost like just repeats of each of themselves. You know, they're, they're, you couldn't really distinguish between one one to another. But I think we're we're seeing far more differentiation, and. Uh, and then there's the actual journey itself and the experience and, and the thinking that's going into that. So that, I guess, is the, the backdrop. So so what I would say, having been critical of senior people initially, uh, certainly in the, the banks, I think what we're seeing now is far more thought. Uh, when we're looking at the the, the hybrid model, uh, that that's a nice umbrella term that uh, sort of mixes digital and human ingredients together. If you dig just a little bit beneath that, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. So is it a digital proposition that is underpinned by human support or is it a human proposition that's underpinned by digital? So that that that's, uh, I guess, an, an important distinction. Uh, if, uh, if there is a human involved, is it a friendly administrator? 
who's there to reassure, hold, hold somebody's hand, or is it a highly skilled advisor? And then you've got another set of questions around, does the proposition actually give advice? And I'm talking about real financial advice, not just this, an investment journey. And, and if it does, who or what is giving that advice? So is it a human advisor? Is it an algorithm? Or is it a mix of the two? And so answering each of those questions, you end up with a whole variety of different models and approaches, all of which would come under that um, generic hybrid umbrella. And, and what we're now seeing is, is different organizations uh, responding to that. And yeah, they, they, they have a hybrid proposition, but they're, they're looking at it in a, in a different way. What, what about you, Mike? What do you kind of deem as being hybrid? I mean, thank you, Simon. That's actually quite a good explanation. And forgive me for, for simplifying it. That's my my thing as a journalist, always trying to simplify too much. But yeah, Mike, what do you think? I, I must confess, I, I'm a little bit cynical around the term hybrid advice. Um, we I tend to look at things from a customer's perspective. As I, as I said a moment ago, a lot of a lot of the names and language we use within the, within the sector in my view is meaningless to real people and actually it worse acts as a barrier for, for people to actually engage with 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 what we want them to be doing and i think hybrid advice is perhaps i, I wonder whether hybrid advice is another um a, a good example of that i think simon's spot on in terms of the I guess the the actual definition and the blending of face to face advice, human in, interaction, human advice with with technology, but my my concern is that that feels to me to be increasingly business as usual, and actually probably twelve eighteen months or so ago when we were deep down in a in a horrible lockdown, that was an absolute must have. Every single advice firm would would have been operating a hybrid advice model because they were unable to do face-to-face interaction with their clients. So they, uh, and for a lot of advisors, I know that brought them kind of kicking and screaming into the 21st century. But from a client's point of view, from a customer's point of view, going back to that, they were able to access the services, the information, the advice that they wanted through the channel that worked best for them, i.e. a digital channel at that time. And some clients, our research shows, have have stuck with that others are going back to the kind of meeting their face their advisors face to face and from the advisor's point of view some advisors have actually said do you know what that's brilliant gone are the days of me spending two hours on the motorway to go and see a client i'm going to do client reviews via via zoom via teams so this blending of technology i always i think if you'd asked me that at the start of last year before things went horribly wrong i would have all i would have said yeah this is something that the advice sector could benefit from they could improve their overall customer proposition and strip out a lot of cost frankly from 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 the sector as well and i think that's that's what that feels to me what hybrid advice is it's me taking advantage of technology that frankly the advice sector should have been doing quite a while ago the adoption of technology in a lot of advice firms is is really quite alarmingly poor and hybrid advice i think will address that and I think it's interesting, sort of both of what you're saying, so firstly what Simon's saying about which way around is it? Is it tech and then advice or advice and then tech? And you would have thought with this gold rush of, of firms um, sort of in the robo-advice space, that might have encouraged sort of advisors to kind of earlier on to adopt some of these or at least explore them a bit. 
Um, but it does seem like it's been the pandemic that's been a huge driver for that. And even then, as, as Mike, you're saying, it's still very poor levels. Um, I mean, maybe it would be good to sort of look at some some case studies. I know, Simon, you mentioned MNG as a, as a good case study. Feel free if you want to pick an example and sort of dig into it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll cover a couple if I may, and then, and then I guess you, you can choose how, how you use them. But yeah, so so MNG. So um, I, I've uh, I've worked with Richard Caldicott, who heads up that that team, uh, probably for the last five or so years, and we're, and we've together we've been really looking at at this space and how how uh, they could better deploy technology within their the, the business obviously they're going through a massive transformation program it's what much broader than what we're about to talk about um, now richard has surrounded himself with a, a a small but high quality team uh, and, I, and i've been honored to be part of that that journey uh, the, they've taken a long hard look at their their proposition their target markets the fit with other channels as well which is really really important and and then they've they've given some real deep I suppose what I call critical thinking to to that as a as a piece and I suppose picking up Mike's point sort of looking at things from a, a customer perspective is how do we engage with a, a real breadth of of customers who have a whole variety of needs problems challenges and everything else um, how do you do that in uh, a very robust um, and efficient manner, but while delivering uh, quality to the the end customer. Uh, and they, what what Richard and his team have done is they they understand the role that they want both digital and humans to to play. And yeah, uh, I think the, uh, the 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 term hybrid is just it's a nice name that we put over something. But in, in reality, uh, maybe you've got different effectively different channels um to 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 get to the end end customer and uh, and think that they they've gone through a uh, a very uh, robust process uh so they they they've ultimately sourced a a vendor uh we not not the the vendor that most uh, organizations would have ordinarily come up with so they they've they've taken um a chance with somebody that didn't have a uh, a, a UK proposition, but they stuck to their principles, uh, and they, they they basically worked through what it was that they wanted, and then found the the vendor to support that, um, and uh, and then they've worked very closely with a behavioural design psychologist in the in their approach in the design. Uh, training of advisors as well so their telephone advisors and the narrative that an advisor would would talk through and the shape the color the words the communications so they've spent an awful lot of time doing a lot of thinking which i love because because uh, if you get the thinking right you you stand more chance of success further down the track um i've also worked with other people in the past where they've jumped straight to vendor without doing the critical thinking and they've had a a horrible mess and it's all failed miserably so the fact that m and g are are trying to do it the right way i i, I really like uh, they've already commissioned customer research for next year so customers that haven't even joined them yet or, or, or gone through the the new process they've already commissioned 
that um, because they, they recognize that they will get certain aspects of what they're about to launch. They'll get it wrong. They'll, there'll be certain things that they, they will not get right. And they know that. Uh, and so they're they're already thinking about, okay, well, let's get feedback from customers so that we can learn, enhance, improve, get better. Uh, and that that approach is so different from from others. Uh, you know, so I, I, I love it. Uh, so that that's a, an example of a, a big brand that is giving itself the best chance of success. I think I'm sort of quite interested in the behavioral um sort of research as well um because that's come up in other instances where sort of especially sort of the vulnerable customer debate and how sort of platforms and advisors can be better at sort of identifying when a customer's vulnerable and when and when they're not and a big part of that can be sort of platforms investing more in um sort of behavioral sort of ai i mean it's a bit futuristic so i don't think there are many or any providers offering that at the moment but it's definitely an example of where you know that sort of human advice and digital can meet quite quite well in the middle and, and produce something quite special. Um, Mike, in terms of you know, do you agree with Simon? Do you think MG is a good example? Have you got other ones that you think are better examples? What what have you liked that you've seen in the market recently? Yeah, I, yeah, I think MG are a really good example of what what they're piecing together. And as, as uh, Simon said, the a large part of their challenge is kind of navigating the the various acquisitions and m a activity which they've which they've done which in itself is is is, is enough of a challenge so to to kind of develop the the advice channel through that yeah they're doing some really interesting stuff in that space certainly but i think also for me uh, there's a couple of two kind of quick examples i'd have taking it back to the direct consumer space so so firstly to kind of highlight i guess the challenge with um with some of these services and and with the with the advice services um, business, we know quite well of Alancac Open Money. So they um, are one of the exceptions to Simon's robo advice definition in that they actually do give regulated advice yeah. to to their customers. And one of the one of the challenges they found, or one of the things they found through that process, is that um, a large number of the people they they give advice to, the advice is you don't have enough money to invest you need to you need to save you need to take out some protection whatever that might be then they're not at the point of being able to invest and that is entirely the right thing to be doing from the customer's point of view and the, and the best thing to sort out their financial life but commercially that means they're turning away customers who who they've already or they've just about acquired which everyone knows is a really really hard thing to do in the d2c sector so if it's a little bit of kind of care for what you wish for with this. And I guess at the other extremities, we've seen some of the kind of the shiny apps and um, Bitcoin stuff and CFD trading apps that get advertised all over the place where the providers don't give two hoots about suitability. All they're trying to do to, is to get people to buy to buy their thing, to buy their stuff. So technology isn't necessarily going to automatically make things better. It's 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 about... The behaviors the customer the, the company exhibits beneath that i think the other example i'll do is go straight to the biggest one that's out there hargreaves lansdowne so um i'm a hargreaves lansdowne customer i can go on my iphone and log on to my app to see what my investments have done i do that terrible behavioral thing of doing that pretty much every day <laughs> um and 
Hargreaves report huge use of their digital services. So um, a, a large number of their customers are like me going on there pretty much every day to see what their investments are doing. If I ever get to the point of deciding I want to take some financial advice in my life, then there'll be a nice bloke on the end of the phone from with a Bristolian accent offering me financial advice through the Hargreaves Lansdowne Financial Advisors. And they've already started to build up that proposition to capture and customers who've kind of accumulated enough wealth or they're getting to that point of complexity in their financial advice. Or, of course, I can take my, my Hargreaves portfolio and go, go elsewhere. And I think that that's kind of a challenge, I think, for, if you like, normal financial advisors now. They, they don't seem to be that bothered about serving clients with small amounts of money and who are accumulating wealth. They're happy serving clients who have already accumulated wealth. And I just wonder whether increasingly the, the digital players are going to start kind of moving into that space. So the likes of Hargreaves giving me advice if I wanted it to. Interactive Investor, obviously, we saw last week were snapped up by Aberdeen. And obviously, Aberdeen have their advice network. The, the old, old 1825 advice firms are in the mix there as well. So presumably that will be part of the, the longer term plans for interactive investor. Yeah, I just think a, traditional advisors need to probably just keep an eye on the on the digital sector and younger accumulators who are building up their relationships with financial companies. And yeah, if you're a financial advisor, you need to make sure that you still have the ability to capture those individuals when when they get wealthy enough to come and use your, your full advice services. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was thinking because yeah, you you might ignore customers for for a bit because they perhaps don't seem worth it to spend the time on. But yeah, it's all about the sort of long term investment. And even if you won't, you know, even if you identify that you still don't have the time, then you can at least build those partnerships and be aware of the players you need to be sort of friends with and and know. So then you can be past that client when they're ready, but then still work with them and perhaps use their tech, depending on how that relationship will play out. Exactly. Um, my, 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 my experience as an investor with my chosen direct platform, I'm used to operating in a technology world with an app, interacting with them. I can, I, I've conducted pension transfers through that app as well. So it's not just looking at information. And yeah, I would find that in terms of, my customer experience my expectation of how financial services operates to be to suddenly find myself with a traditional financial advisor who wants to give me a 48 page cost and charges statement in, in a pdf and talk me through it in a paper format in his office that's a completely different user experience and i i just wonder whether for a lot of people that might be a bit of a bit of a jarring experience to go through that process I mean, hugely. I mean, I'm an even a younger demographic and I'm so used to everything being. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm so used to everything. But, you know, if you look on sort of social media apps now and everything's bullet pointed, like a lot of articles are sort of kind of converted into threads and just everything is constantly being broken down so that you can understand it faster and faster and faster. So, yeah, it's going to be a massive culture shock. The younger you are, you know, if you look into 20 years, 30 years time, it's going to be an even even greater shock. And we've kind of touched a lot on the sort of last point we were going to talk about, which is where advisors fit in all this. And I think we've made some really good points already. Um, Simon, do you, have you got anything to add on sort of where, where advisors are and where they should be in terms of robo-advice? Yeah, uh, well, uh, I suppose it, well, it, it picks up on some of the things uh, I, I think that, that, that Mike has already 
touched on. So I'll, I'll, I'll touch on that, but uh, hopefully give it a little bit broader as well. So, so uh, from, from the, the, the making money points uh, and particularly for advisors. So, uh, so I, I, I would take that um, if I went back to my original sort of questions and definitions that we're sort of starting with a, an advisor type proposition that's been underpinned by digital. So, so that, that version of events. Uh, so how, how do you get that technology um, really ingrained into your business so that it, it, it it's basically you've got the technology doing the, the, the effectively the, the heavy lifting. So you get people to do the stuff that people are really good at, which is the empathy and the talking to customers. But stuff that a machine can do, bloom and well, go and let the machine do it. Don't have an army of people doing that stuff. Uh, if you have you're not being very efficient. So, so it, it's making the, uh, well, it's being, uh, I suppose, self-critical of, of your own business and really thinking where, where can we introduce technology to, to, to help this, um, help this process. Uh, and if we think about some of the, uh, I suppose the actual um, digital wealth or, or hybrid technology. So if we look at that specifically, as opposed to just any technology, uh, you can get to a point where um, you can use an uh, sort of an advice algorithm to support the process. So, particularly if you've got maybe some some junior advisors coming through, that you could actually have the advice algorithm to to help them in in um, in, in their thinking and and sort of guide rails. Uh, you can also use that type of capability to help power planners in in the work that they they've got to do. So take some of the uh, again the, the heavy lifting off of them, uh, make them more efficient. Uh, there's a a great opportunity for risk officers and compliance heads and those where they can not only um, sort of create advice rules for for future business, but you can also start back testing historic business and seeing whether you've got any challenges, uh, any particular cases, or indeed any advisors that have um, consistently been outside of the guide rails. Uh, so that that's a really good aspect from a, a compliance and, and, and risk perspective. And, and then I suppose if we just think uh, to the future a little bit more there, uh, there, there's lots of words that get banded around on podcasts, on webinars, at events. So the likes of AI, machine learning, data analytics, 5G, yada, 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 yada. So it goes on. So whilst uh, we, we we can maybe say those words and laugh a little bit because they're just saying, yeah, well, they're, they're great on a PowerPoint. The reality is, is that they are all being developed. And, and if we were to do this podcast in, a, in another few years, the world will have moved on significantly again. And what would I say about all those different technologies that I've just described, and we've got sort of open finance uh, as well as sort of part of all of that, is that uh, historically they may be very disparate, but we're beginning to join those dots together. And as those dots do get joined together, it, it will, um, we'll see a step change, I think, in 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 the uh, in the profession, in the industry that that we we work in, and those advisor firms that make best use of that will be absolutely the the winners going forwards. I think that's a really good point to to end on. Um, is the sort of yeah the step change and 
as are we going to see sort of the dots join and that's kind of moving on from what Mike said as well um, about his own sort of customer experience. Mike, do you have any final points to add before we before we wrap up on your the forecast in this space? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, we have said a lot, to be fair, um, and it's quite hard to forecast and look into that old crystal ball. Well, thanks, Simon and, and Mike, for those thoughts. That was a really, really interesting conversation. I think, we, I think we've had a really, really uh, fruitful conversation, and I think we've raised some really interesting points around robo-advice and, and the history to date and, and what's potentially to come in 2022. This is actually going to be our last podcast of the year for 2021. So thank you, listeners, for, for tuning in, and we'll be back next year um, with more interesting topics to, to pull apart. Um, but in the meantime, bye for now. Have a lovely Christmas. 